This is the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And so I'm preaching this morning the sermon that I preached 10 years ago today. And our text is found in the book of Psalms, the 76th chapter. Let us hear the word of God, which is eternally true. For the choir director, on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place also is in Zion. There he broke the flaming arrows. The shield and the sword and the weapons of war, Selah. You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep. You, even you, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the humble of the earth, seal it. For the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath, you will gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Psalm 76 begins with the statement, God is known in Judah. Verse 1, his name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place also is in Zion. And so the psalmist, the song leader, is singing of the tender mercies of God toward his church, which in the time of Old Testament history was one with the Jewish nation, with Judah, with Israel, with Salem. And Salem is just another word for Jerusalem, all right? And Zion, which is the place of God's temple. And all of them own a soft spot in God's heart because they're his house. They are the place where his name and his reputation dwell. Verse 3, there he, speaking of God, broke the flaming arrows, the shield and the sword and the weapons of war, Selah. And so if you think about God identifying himself with Jerusalem and Judea and Israel, they're his people, this is what he says all through the Old Testament, what able-bodied man would allow an enemy to overthrow his homeland without standing to defend her? And if this is true of sinful man, how much more true is it of God himself? God is a warrior in defense of his bride, his people. And his tabernacle, his place of worship, God stood to defend his name and his glory when flaming arrows, the shield and sword, when the weapons of war came against her. And he was mighty in battle. He broke their implements of war himself by his own omnipotent hand. Now, you think of Moses and Miriam of old singing of the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Remember that 
song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. And so they sang of this glory of God, of God's authority, of his power, of God's victory, his bloody victory over his enemies. And his enemies are the enemies of his people. Because even though you can't imagine it, and I certainly can't imagine it, God loves us. And so when people attack us, he takes it personally. Think of an enemy attacking our children and our wife. And if postmodernism has not utterly removed the fatherly and the husbandly principle from you, what will you do when someone attacks your home, your children, your family, your motherland? This is God. And so in verse 4, 3, he broke the flaming arrows, the shield and the sword and the weapons of war. And then verse 4, as he was doing this, we read he was resplendent. He was more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They sank into sleep and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep. We might translate this both destroyer and fighter jet. This is done. They can't resist God. And so Asaph, this, this leader of the worship of the people of God, Asaph is using this to encourage the people to love their heavenly father. This is their worship. This is their song. This is their glory. Their God is the only two And He has vindicated his wife, his bride, and he has won a glorious victory. And what is the lesson to be learned? Well, we see this in verse 7. You, God, you, even you, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to save. And who does he save? To save all the humble of the earth. And then that, that uh, sort of signet ring, hot wax, back of the envelope, that seal. And that's the word seal. All right, that doesn't have any connection to the seal, but it's, it's the amen, it's the... So be it of the book of Psalms. Selah. For the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath, just a little, little tiny bit, you will gird yourself. God clothes himself in the wrath of man, and it praises him. And so God... The only true God, there is but one God. God is to be feared. It would be very easy for us today to look at all the religious services of all the churches around the world and to understand that every single one of our churches is a grand scheme to deny God the glory that is his due and to use various uh, words and sermons and sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, the killing of chickens, 
to use all of it to teach everyone that God is not to be feared. When the one thing we know from Scripture, cover to cover, is God is to be feared. God is not my puppet. God is not your plaything. God, at the very beginning of Scripture, it says, in the beginning what? God created the heavens and the earth. And at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, what does it say? It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything created that was created. And this is God. And so God is to be feared. No man can stand in his presence when once he has been angered. He is not soft. He does not lack resolve to deal with his enemies, with the proud and the rebellious. He is not timid to defend the honor of his name that dwells in righteousness among his people, but he will send forth judgments from his heaven before which man, no matter what his weapons, no matter what his numbers, no matter what his wealth, no matter what his pride, man cannot stand. The earth properly fears God and is still in the presence of his judgment. From the moment of our conception to the moment of our death, to the time of us standing before the judgment seat of God, the central reality of our lives is that we are properly judged by God. Remember what David says about himself, King David, the friend of God, the man after God's own heart. And what David testifies about himself is, in sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't making a statement about his mother having committed adultery. What he was saying was, from the moment of my conception, I was a sinner. And so we look at this and we see that God is to be feared, that the judgment of God is not in behalf of the proud but the humble, that God works out all things for his own glory, even causing the wrath of man to praise him. And what is the application of these truths? Well, we see it in verse 11. It says, make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. But I should read it like David Baker. Make vows to the Lord your God. And we think, well, that's the most obvious thing in the world. Who else would you make vows to? Well, many of you have made vows to Satan. Many of you have called on Satan for power in your life. I mean, we all know that this is the theme of operas, right? We all know this is the theme of books. We all know that this is the theme of video games, right? We all know this is goth. Many, many people give themselves to darkness and to bloodshed and to vampires. And they're all absolutely convinced that it's trifling, that it's just an entertainment and yet, do you realize that all that riot of blood that people give themselves as entertainment is a testimony about their hearts and about us as a culture? 
It used to be that people would tremble about demons. But we don't tremble, we use them to entertain ourselves. We look at them as toys to trifle with. It used to be that people used blood to appease the gods. The blood of their children, the blood of chickens and goats and bulls. But we are entertained by blood. And so we are a people who are entirely incapable of fearing God. We don't know the fear of God. We have become inured to it. We, we, we have desensitized ourselves to vampires and demons and Satan and to blood. And so here, the application of God's might and his wrath and his glory and his omnipotence, the application is make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Not just make vows to him and not to Satan, but make vows to him and not to any of the other gods. And then what? Fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Over the years, I've watched discussions of taking offering and worship. And pastors and elders are just so embarrassed about taking offerings in worship. And so I've been in a lot of discussions where, you know, we'll say, well, look, if we have an evening worship service, let's not have an offering. If we're having Good Friday, let's not have an offering. If we're having a concert of worship, let's not have an offering. And why? Well, because everybody has a bad conscience about taking an offering. And that's why. Well, that's because I get paid from it. That's why. But it doesn't have anything to do with you doing what? With you bringing gifts to God to worship him. I mean, how, what man could come to God without bringing gifts? How, how does that work? We trifle with demons, we trifle with blood, and, and we think that God doesn't need gifts. Well... God doesn't. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but God is worshipped by us bringing offerings. And so you see in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the human race, you see what? You see Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices of their wealth to God. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him. Why? Because he is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Now, what a glorious statement of the providence and awesome sovereignty of God that according to verse 10, the wrath of man shall praise him. I just love that. The wrath of man shall praise him. Isn't that a beautiful statement? The wrath of man shall praise him. We don't think in terms of wrath praising God, right? It's very difficult for us to get our minds around that. Because typically, as postmoderns, we're like insanely afraid. But we don't fear God, we fear man. And so the idea that God would relish the opportunity of using the wrath of man to bring himself glory, it kind of makes you tremble. Because God doesn't realize what he's doing. 
God, God should be fearful of man's wrath because I'm scared to death. Aren't you glad I said that? <laughs> now, I don't want to make anybody mad, certainly not you. Because then you might not bring offerings to God and I might not get paid. Somebody's clapping. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. When I went into my first church and began to preach, I had a man come to me in my office, and he was a force to be reckoned with. And he was furious about the preaching in that church. And what he told me was, he said, if you keep preaching this way, we will not pay you. Just that clear. That's exactly what he said. If you keep preaching this way, we will not pay you. And back then, I had a love affair with vacuum cleaners. I still do, if the truth be told. I have vacuum cleaners out on loan to various homes in this church. (laughs) We have a central vacuum now, and I still have vacuum cleaners. Come on, you got to love it, right? It's because I used to make my living cleaning. And I think good tools are, like, important. I just spent six hours fixing a vacuum that Mary Lee and I used the first money we ever had to buy so we could run our business when we got married. And so I had just been to an auction of the school system in that town, and I had bought three vacuums. And one of them I had over in the corner of my tiny little study at the church. I didn't use it, but it sat there. It was a very good vacuum. Until recently, I had a vacuum hidden behind my curtain in my office here. Any of you seen that vacuum? See, they know it. And so he said, if you keep preaching this way, we're going to stop paying you. And I asked him to turn around and look at the vacuum. I said, what do you see over there? He said, a vacuum cleaner. I said, that's right. And if you stop paying me, I've been missing my vacuum cleaners. And so I will start earning my living with that vacuum cleaner but I will still preach. (laughs) Don't you ever think that you've bought me with money. My allegiance is to God and to his word. And listen, if you think that that's me bragging, it's not me bragging. You're an idiot. It is me fearing God. I don't fear you. I don't fear having a smaller church than Tim Keller. Remember that woman in England? I am not bothered. And so here we have God saying the thing that's just so contrary to our postmodern wimpiness. God says, I ain't bothered. The wrath of man shall praise me. And listen, that's the perfect description of 9-11. Don't you ever think 9-11 just happened and God was surprised. God wasn't shocked. God, God knew what was going to happen. You have not lost a child in your womb or a living child. My parents lost three as I was growing up. You have not had an accident. You have not gotten a disease. You are not unable to conceive, you have not gotten a divorce, 
You have not gone bankrupt. You have not gotten a bad grade. Absolutely nothing that you have happened has not come through the sovereignty and providence of God. And the providence of God, which means God provides, the providence of God is often at its greatest through the things that are most painful to us. Because why? (laughs) Well, you listen to me, so you know I'm proud. And what does God do through pain? God humbles us. And so sickness and death and sin and the sin of our husbands and the sin of our wives and the failures of our children, all these things are glorious gifts from God to us, to humble us. And then when we're humbled, God hears us and God defends us. But if we're not humble, if we're proud, then God doesn't hear us and he doesn't defend us. He rebukes us. He disciplines us. He sends things that are just terribly tragic into our lives and into the life of our nation. And I keep trying to get you and everyone to understand that the United States of America today needed 9-11. It needed it. We have unbelievable pride. Is this really something you don't know? Have you ever left the borders of the U.S.? I'll never forget going to visit David and Terry Ann in Africa. And man, the more I went between border and border, you know, because we traveled, and I saw the, the humiliation of everybody going across borders except, except Americans. And boy, the minute they were dealing with Americans, no matter where you went, eh, sometimes they were nasty to you. The Brits love to be nasty to Americans. (laughs) But even the nastiness was part of my pride. I considered it a point of personal pride that the Brits were nasty to me because I knew they were just oozing jealousy. Right? Have any of you been to England? Oh, they hate us. They love us. They hate us. They love us. They hate us. America is unbelievably proud, unbelievably proud. America is unbelievably lustful. We import oil and we export the flesh of our women and jokes about it. That's the balance of trade. It's culture. But how can you call the exposing of our daughter's flesh culture? And what about greed? Is America greedy? We're stealing from our great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren to maintain our standard of living. You all know that. Every airwave is filled with discussions of our national debt. Where do you think it's going to come from? All going to vanish? Jürgen has tried to convince me it will, but I don't believe him. (laughs) I know. You don't get equal time here, but afterwards, Jürgen will be standing at the door telling you all I misquoted him. (laughs) He says as long as China is willing to have our debt in U.S. dollars, things are fine. But doesn't that debt really weigh on your conscience? Doesn't it weigh on your conscience? I'm not making a political statement. 
I'm simply saying America's greedy and we can't abide having to live within our means. And so you've got pride and you've got lust and you've got greed. And I haven't even addressed how many people died in 9-11. How many? Depends on the count, but a few thousand, right? Every year in the United States, 1.3 million unborn children are slaughtered by their mothers. Every single year, year after year. Are there any ceremonies 10 years later? No, because what are we going to do? This is our daughter. This is our son-in-law. We can't go and bomb our son-in-law. And so we just decide that this is not evil. Because it's our neighbor. It's our son-in-law. It's our dad. And you really think that 9-11 was just arbitrary? Was just an act of terrorists? You really think that God was not involved in 9-11? You really think that God did not send 9-11 to us as a judgment and a warning to our pride, to our greed, to our lust, to our bloodshed? And remember, please, people, I'm not, not, not being political. And I do love my country. I've always thought that the man that loves the country should tell it the truth. Not lie, not connive, not hide. I thought the father who loved his children should discipline them. I thought the husband that loved his wife should rebuke her. I thought a wife that loves her husband should rebuke him. Listen, to postmoderns, everything's personal. And so what you're all sitting there thinking is, well, you know, young man Bailey. (laughs) What you don't know is that there was this psychological psycho history of Luther called young man Luther. And, 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 And Martin Luther was explained by, you know, boring into his childhood and his father and his mother and the relationship between his father and his mother. And, of course, the fact that God could rebuke the church of the Middle Ages for selling salvation through indulgences, through a man, and that it wasn't about the man, and it wasn't about his mother and his father, and it wasn't about the man. But today, everything's about me. Everything's about you. And so if I preach a sermon like this, you're all sitting there thinking, well, what about me? And then you're thinking, well, what about him? And then you look at my wife and see, well, how's she relating to me right now? And then you look at the children and you say, well, do they like their dad? And then you think, well, you know, he... Come on, guys. We have innumerable ways that we escape God speaking to us. And that's what this sermon is. This is God speaking. You say, but I see you. And I say, I'm sorry about that. I know it's humiliating. But God is speaking to you. And God is telling you that you live in a wicked day. That you live in sexual immorality, you live in greed, you live in pride, you live in bloodshed. That's you. And 9-11 happened and it's God calling us to repent. That's what it is. And that's what New Orleans was and that's what Japan is. That is what tragedy is. It is God disciplining his people corporately. That's what it is. I don't care if every single pastor in this country tells you it's not. 
That's what it is. And if you are humble, then you'll say, thank you, God. And you'll pray for your relatives. And you'll pray for the soldiers. You'll pray for the president. You'll pray for the people on television and radio. You'll pray for for the women prostituting themselves in plays and movies. You'll pray that your daughter won't grow up to be a cheerleader. (laughs) I mean, am I insane or are you insane? (laughs) I'll never forget. We were having a men's Bible study back in Partyville, Wisconsin. That was the name. And when people would laugh when I'd order something on the phone and give them the address, I'd say, yep, I'm pastor of Our Lady of the Perpetual Good Time, Partyville, Wisconsin. (laughs) So we're sitting at this table and we're having a Bible study early in the morning, Tuesday, I think. And I made some comment about my daughters. Hannah was just born and Hannah was always the one that would have been the cheerleader in our family. You always have one. Do you all agree it would have been Hannah? I mean, imagine Michael. On the principle of it, she wouldn't have done it. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Allie would not have been a cheerleader ever, ever, ever. And she and Michael are just rock solid together. And so I'm talking to the men. And the whole purpose of that Bible study was to awaken men's hearts to the word of God. And I made mention about how we should not allow our children to grow up to be cheerleaders because I already knew Han was going to grow up to be a cheerleader. And I was trying to think about the fight coming. And I remember Eli Massage, I think it was, dear, dear Eli. He was probably 65 at the time. Very, very jovial, loving, sweet man. And uh, Eli looked at me and he He said something to the effect of, what kind of a pervert are you? And so I went home and I thought about myself and I thought, am I I crazy? Or is Eli crazy? Because there was no meshing of our two opinions. I'm a pervert because I won't let my daughter be a cheerleader. (laughs) Guys, listen, this is our nation. This is our nation. And you cannot abide being approached from the pulpit seriously because you've spent your week on Facebook. And there is nothing serious on Facebook. Everything is trivial. Or you've been reading novels. Some of the novels will get serious with you, but not the modern trash. Or you've been watching movies. And I just, the older I get, the more I think about movies. And I think, how about if you're ready to die and you say to God, I've been Tom Hanks or Jack Nicholson. And God says, so what does that mean that you did? And I say, well... I got paid well to act. You know they're your heroes. Everybody here identifies with an actress or an actor. Right? 
And you say, no. I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay? So you just pick your actor or actress and you stand. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just so gauche. You pick your actor and your actor. This is so pathetic. You pick your actor and your actress. Okay? And you stand before God and you say, I was seductive to hundreds of millions of men. I was handsome to hundreds of millions of men. I was firm. And this is America. And then the two symbols of the financial wealth of the world are bombed and collapse. And all we see in that is terrorists. We think God is impotent. We think God has no agency. We think God didn't know it was going to happen and can't bring himself to face it. And then there's a flood in New Orleans. And we think, what? Well, that was a shocker. Is that how God responded to a flood in New Orleans? And the good thing about the flood is, what are you going to do? Send all the bombers out to get the clouds? (laughs) You know, at least with New Orleans, you can't have a war for 10 years about it. Because nobody can find God. And that was an act of God. Listen, here's what I want from you, okay? What I want is I want you to be humble. I want you to confess the sins of your nation. I want you to look and see them. I want you to look and see them. I want you to look at your family and see the sins of your family. I want you to see the sins in your marriage. I want you to see the sins in this church, in our elders board, in me. And I want you to confess these sins to God. I want you to admit the holiness of God. And the way you do that is by confessing your sins. And not just the things people see you doing. The things that nobody knows you're doing. The thoughts that are wicked that only you bear. Don't be trivial with God. Don't confess your sins like on Facebook. Confess them as your heart knows because the Holy Spirit is within you. Confess them. But, and this is going to help you to confess them, okay? But, if your reaction to this sermon and to 9-11 and to New Orleans is wrath, I want you to know that God will judge you. The wrath of man will praise him. You cannot oppose the only true God and get away with it. It won't happen. You may be able to seduce me to compromise. You may be able to threaten your father. You may be able to cajole your mother. But the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The man that soweth to his sinful nature, from that sinful nature will reap destruction. Do you understand? So, 
One of two things is true of every one of us here today. Either we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and confess our sins and flee to Jesus Christ, who said on the cross, it's finished. Because how do you do an unconditional surrender to God? It's not the blood of chickens anymore. You can't appease him with your firstborn having it aborted. You can't buy him off by giving to church. There's only one thing that you can do since his son died. And that is unconditional surrender to take your sins to the cross and to look up at him as he says, it is finished. And you say, Father, wash me with his blood. Wash my nation and my marriage and my family. I am... I am worthless. I am a sinful man. In everything in my life, I have had my own will and not yours. Father, forgive me through the blood of your son. And what Jesus said when he was here in flesh on this earth is he said that if any man comes to me, I'll never cast him out. But if you won't do that throughout all eternity in hell under torment, you will praise God. Do you understand me? Have you ever had a father who looked at you as I'm looking at you right now and he has said, do you understand me? Do you understand me? You will be separated by Jesus into the sheep that are covered by his blood, the Lamb of God, or the goats. And for all eternity, the wrath of man will praise him. That's it. There's no middle. There's no demilitarized zone. There's no United Nations peacekeeping force. It is either unconditional surrender in humility, confessing your sins and being washed by the blood, or it is pride, a refusal to hear the plea of God to you, a refusal to see the warnings, and eternal torment in hell, where you will praise him by showing, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The one that sows to his sinful nature from his sinful nature will reap destruction. That's it. There's only two. Remember Jesus said sheep and goats. He didn't say sheep and llamas and goats. Jesus was real good at bifurcation. And he told us. He spoke more about hell than anybody else in Scripture. Jesus, the Son of God. Listen, dear ones. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You don't have anything to lose and an infinite amount to gain. Okay, let's pray.
Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and being the only man who ever lived perfectly submissive to God's will, even to death on a cross. Father, you have sent Jesus because of your love for us. And we pray that we will not spurn your love. We have heard your word that says, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. And we pray that you will make our hearts soft and that we will not think of what anybody else here thinks of us or our parents or our children, but that we will make an unconditional surrender and humility under the cross and that from this day on we will live for you. Jesus, save us. Send your spirit to wash us with the blood of Jesus. Give us faith. Help us not to be afraid of you, but to come to you in trust, we pray. In Jesus' name.